Welcome Black Hollywood Live fans. Today on Justice is Served, we talk updates in the Philando Castile, Alton Sterling cases, and the Dallas mass shooting. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. Yeah. Welcome, Black Hollywood Live fans. You're watching Justice is Served. My name is Shaka Smith. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Shaka Strong. And my name is Yemia Bayami. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ayemiems. Wow, so we've had quite a roller coaster of a week of stories, right? <laughs> I mean, last time we came in here, we were all shocked by the Alton Sterling case. Um, we hadn't yet heard of Philando Castile. And I guess between now and then, we've had the Philando Castile and the Dallas mass shooting. It's been quite a week that's opened up a lot of uh, racial wounds. It has. Um, I think we were all surprised to see how quickly things escalated after Alton and then Philando and then the the Dallas shootings. I mean, it really caused a lot of people to start anew or renew the national conversation on race relations in the U.S. and police brutality and and the interaction between police and the community. Yeah, we had to start with that Michael Jackson, black or white. And you remember that he had that uh, they don't really care about us. And it's crazy to me how present those songs still are today. Yeah, I saw a lot of postings online with quotes from the 1960s and even prior talking about <clears throat> the struggles of African Americans in relation to the system, in relation to police, um, it, it, talking about how, it, I guess, how, you know, just feelings towards us and, and things like that that were still, still relevant back then and are still relevant now. Yeah, I think what we have now today is that we have, we have social media. And so I think a lot of the things that we thought were healed just weren't exposed. We hadn't seen them. And now we're seeing things on Twitter and, as we know, in the Philando Castile case or the Facebook Live post that, you know, really alerted people to things and um, having cell phones. And in that same vein, so we had this Dallas mass shooting. And on Twitter, um, shortly thereafter, we had a picture tweeted out about someone they were looking for. Um, and there was a big issue about this because it turned out the guy, you know, had nothing to do with it. And really it was because he, ha- he was exercising his right to carry guns, uh, to carry um, a concealed weapon in Texas. And so we have, do we have to start looking at our open carry laws as something I think might be an issue here? Yeah, it raised a really interesting question about the, co- the confusion that can arise when you have these open carry laws and then an incident take break an incident of violence breaks out shooting breaks out and there's a question of you know what are people with their guns going to do are the in the first place are police officers going to confuse certain individuals exercising their right to carry their their guns in the open are they going to confuse those individuals as suspects and then what happens when you do uh, confuse this this individual individual as a suspect in this case um the the guy who was a person of interest i mean his his photograph was posted to Twitter. It remained up for, I think, about 24 hours before it was ever uh, taken down. And and I remember even in an interview, someone was asking his brother, well, why was he bringing a gun to the um, to the, to the the protest in the first place? And the brother rightfully yeah. said it was his right to it do so. It was his so. legal right. And, and let's state, Texas is not in the minority. We have 31 states um, where you don't need a license or permit to have uh, a concealed weapon to open carry. And 15 other states require some sort of licensing or permit. So it's it's not just an isolated um, problem with Texas. Or I, I don't know if you call it a problem, but certainly for this case, it was a problem. And I, I believe they were they were stating 
I forget what the mayor that stated, you know, when you have gunfire, you're going to look for that person with a gun. Mm -hmm. And when you have 30 to 40 people in a crowd that are open carrying, then that might be an issue. Right. It's an issue in terms of identifying who a potential suspect, a person of interest is. I think it also adds an additional, additional layer of concern when you don't know how the people who are, you know, rightfully asserting their right to carry a weapon, how they're going to react to an incident of violence. And does that kind of uh, magnify the potential violence that can af- occur. And then thirdly, there's the issue with um, if if you do see someone with a gun and automatically assume that maybe they are one of the perpetrators, are, is that person who's exercising their right, is their life now being put at risk because a, a, a police officer is a, automatically going to assume that they're the ones who was, was involved? Yeah, and I think with social media also exposing these, you know, you know ills of society, but now does the Dallas Police Department have sort of a responsibility because this picture's up for 24 hours and this guy's gotten a lot of blowback with um, Mark Hughes, I believe. And so he's gotten a lot of blowback and you know, death threats and things of that nature. So what responsibility does that the police department bear in terms of putting up responsible information, especially during an emergency crisis? I think that raises a good question about wanting to get get information out there immediately so that people can call in and help and see if they can help to identify this person of interest or, or a potential suspect. I understand how a, a police off, uh, a police department is going to want, want to act expeditiously and quickly to get information out there, but I think that has to be balanced with being responsible about the information that you're putting out there and the accuracy of the information that you're putting out there. So I think that raises a good question. Hopefully in this instance, um, hopefully the police department made a good faith effort to identify this person of interest and maybe it was a mistake that they they got the wrong person. Um, To the extent that it was intentional, I think that then maybe there could be some liability for intentionally... um, putting someone's image up there that you know didn't actually commit a crime. But where where it was unclear and you're identifying this person just as a person of interest as opposed to a sus- suspect or accusing them of actually being the criminal, I think that police officers legally have some leeway. leeway there. I just wonder if they have to exercise any reasonability knowing um, what is likely to happen when they put up a picture like that in that sort of turbulent time, what kind of blowback someone might get social media-wise that might translate into um, a real life-threatening situation. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being an individual sitting there protesting uh, against um, po- you know, police brutality and then having my face plastered all over the news, suggesting that I'm, I'm, I'm a violent one when I'm just a law-abiding citizen. Along with about 30 to other 40 people that Along were... Along with other yeah. people, all other law-abiding citizens who are ex- um, exercising their right to protest, exercising their right to to bear arms and then all of a sudden coming under this shadow and being accused of killing five police officers which is a very serious serious accusation yeah and as a result initially when the report started they actually thought there was a coordinated attack of two or three people because there were so many people in the crowd with guns and so i think uh it might warrant a look at open carry laws or maybe at least some sort of restriction around rallies or marches or, you know. Right. I think in terms of having some sort of limitation out there, you, you have, it, it, I think it would be helpful because yeah. it, that to me, having those open carry laws in those public spaces where people are yeah. rallying and protesting um, and where, you know, it, where people are together, there's also just a chance for incidents yeah. to take place. I think they should look at, look at that. It would seem wise to restrict them from protest, mm-hmm. you know, so. Well, and obviously that kind of came about from the Philando Castile case, and we have an update in that, in that 
we now know that it seems he was stopped because he was mistaken for a robbery suspect. And whether or not this stop was motivated by race is an, has been a question. And it seems as though the officer says to the dispatch that Philando Castile has a wide-set nose which matches a robbery suspect. Yeah, I had to laugh. I mean, I shouldn't even laugh at it, cause, but it's, it's, it's so ridiculous yeah, it's laughable, to me. Yeah. It's so ridiculous to me. Apparently, this, this police officer was driving down the road, sees a guy who is black. I mean, really, the only description that the officers had about this um, robbery suspect, that the person was black and had dreadlocks. And so, to me, is that enough to stop any just any person who is black or a certain complexion with dreadlocks? I think you probably need a bit more of a description to go on, whether it's what the person was wearing, um, what the person is carrying on them, which are all things that they didn't have in this situation. And so, to just use the presence the alleged presence of a wide-set nose to effectuate your stop, to, to me, is absolutely ridiculous and cannot be a lawful stop. And, and what's worse is that the robbery was four days prior and two miles away. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not like, well, there's someone that matched the description at the moment, so it's likely him because it's the time and place, but not the place and certainly not the time. <laughs> certainly not, not the place, not the time. And again, you don't have those other identifying factors that limit the scope of who you can search. So yeah. if I describe a suspect as having a camouflage jacket and a red baseball cap and who is black and with dreadlocks, um, then you know wearing a gold chain. I think to me that's that's significant enough that if you see someone matching that description, that maybe that that stop is lawful. But if the only information I have is that it's a black person with dreadlocks, you cannot possibly subject every black person with dreadlocks then to a search. That's that's just unlawful. And so and. Well, we do know that Ger- um, Geronimo Yanez and Joseph Kauser, um, the two officers, are on administrative leave, but their attorneys are saying that a brake light was also out, and that's um, partly that what motivated the stop. But so far, the audio that we have, which has not been confirmed to be authentic yet, but it does seem to match um, in terms of the description of what's happening, that that's the correct audio from um, this particular case. And it seems like it's unclear whether the brake light was actually broken. It's possible that the officer used that as pretext Mm -hmm. for the stop um, when when speaking to Diamond Reynolds um, and Philando Castile. But... From what I from what I understand, Diamond Reynolds says that the, the the taillight wasn't even broken at all. So, which suggests to me that it might have been pretext for the stop, just to kind of pry and get some more information um, about these individuals in connection with the uh, the robbery. Yeah. So, I mean, we we just have to wait and see how this unfolds. But certainly, we hope no more violence spills out from um, what's taking place, and that at least there will be a very diligent investigation that's taking place. Yeah. Hopefully, and you know, and I think it also going back to what we were talking about before about having the open carry laws um, and how that can confuse an investigation. It actually raised the question to me about how are police officers supposed to handle situations when someone says to the officer that. I have a. I'm armed. I have a gun on me. I'm licensed. It's in the same location as where my wallet is. Um, how how are cops supposed to? How, how are they supposed to address that situation? And I thought that raised a very interesting question. You know, does the cop actually have to disarm the person? Um, does the cop take the gun? Does the individual remove the gun? How at the end of the day, how are they to get their wallet yeah. or get their identification if the gun and the in the wallet and say the permit are in the same location? Yeah, and I, I think that's what's going to be important going forward. Are these sort of I know Hillary Clinton's called for sort of national standards for officers. 
um, in training and how they deal with um, other people. And so I think that's what's probably going to need to happen to have some sort of uniform reliability about where you are and what to do in the presence of an officer, whether you have a gunner um, legally and how you go about approaching that situation. Yeah, and I would think that even an individual who tells an officer that they have a that they, tells them that they're armed and tells them that they are licensed to carry, I would think that that might set the officer at ease because already the officer knows, okay, well, I have someone who's being forthright with me, who is sharing this information with me, who has now warned me. So maybe this isn't the type of um, individual that I need to be worried about. I mean, the the ones that I think most officers are worried about are the ones that are acting a little bit dodgy and shifty and, you know, they're keeping their hands hidden and and you don't know what they might have on them. But I would have thought that him, Philando Castile, offering this information to the police would have de-escalated. Would this. have been a presumption of non, you know, that you are actually a lawful individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and and then I think I just have to add this also. You know, what's protocol when you have a child in in, in the back seat yeah. to shoot shoot someone so quickly, so many times with a four year old right there? Um, to me, that doesn't suggest. A kind of some it, it, it makes me question how how much thoughtfulness was going into play because you also now just put that child yeah, at risk in harm's way. as well. So I think um, instituting certain types of standards for when you're making those stops are going to be really important. Well, yeah, I do expect that we'll have some uh, swift developments in the coming weeks. So. You know, I think the pressure's on in that case as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we do actually have a word from our sponsor, FreshBooks. So, uh, Yemi, take it away. Well, small business owners, it's time to be honest about how you feel when dealing with your day-to-day admin work. Admit it, you can't stand it, and it's a total grind. The truth is, over 5 million small business owners felt exactly the same way until they discovered FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the dead simple cloud accounting software that's transforming how small businesses, small business owners handle their paperwork. Invoicing, you can using FreshBooks to create and send an invoice literally takes about 30 seconds. There's no formulas or formatting, just perfectly crafted invoices every time. Online payments, your clients can pay you online, which often means that you end up getting paid a lot faster. Product deposits, There's a super handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment up front when you're kicking off a project. Insights. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've emailed. (laughs) I know I always feel like I need to act expeditiously if I know that someone knows that I've read the email, so I, I completely get that. This is only a fraction of what FreshBooks can do for you. You owe it to yourself to feel the full effect of FreshBooks on you and your small business. For a 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com forward slash geek, that's G-E-E-K, and enter Geek Nerd Tech in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Oh, I love FreshBooks there. Yeah, it seems like it can make invoicing, payments, deposits, all of that very much, much easier. Well, thank you, FreshBooks. Um, well, moving on to uh, the Alton Sterling case. So I, we had a curious development in the Alton Sterling case, at least curious for me, but we did hear that the officer's have maintained that he was reaching for a gun. But we heard this in an affidavit for a search warrant to obtain the surveillance video. We'll, we'll get back to that. But what did what were your thoughts about them saying he was now reaching for a gun? Because we see the video, but there's still some kind of blind spot there. That's the sad thing about this case. I think it's great that we have technology and we have videos that can either corroborate a police officer's um, uh, 
testimony and that can also undermine what the police officer says. The unfortunate thing, I think, in this case is that it's it's hard to exactly see where Alton Sterling's hands are at the time. Um, and so I always, and I think it's even just in terms of getting a conviction against officers, um, it, it, it's hard unless you have clear, irrefutable evidence. And even sometimes when we have yeah. what we think is it's clear cool. evidence, you know, they end up walking anyway. And so in this case, it's, it's hard to see in the video exactly where his hands are at the time, or at least for me, it was hard to see exactly he, where he his looked, hands are. He looked, at least from my, my vantage point, that he was securely subdued. But uh, to what degree might he have been reaching back? Right. I, I think the the um, the gun was on his right side, which is on the other side. So we, when we're looking at the video from the store owner, we see the police officer's back, and then we see uh, Alton Sterling, and then his his right hand. It's It's kind of hard to see exactly what it's doing beyond his body. So if we're talking about what level of culpability is there for the officers in terms of are they going to be convicted or held liable... I think because it's not so super, super clear, it's going to be difficult to, to to say whether or not Alton Sterling was reaching for this gun. And with uh, without that clear-cut evidence, I think ultimately the, the guys will probably well, not be penalized. Well, here... Well, well. I don't know. Well, here, <laughs> I might just yeah, be yeah. maybe I'm just being pessimistic. I, I mean, I, just hearing you say that made me go <laughs> like made me angry. But, um, but, I, I, <laughs> well, the curious part about this was not you know not the actual statement, but where I read it, it was in this affidavit to get mm. a search warrant for the surveillance video, and it was my understanding that that night uh, the surveillance video had been confiscated, and so we know the store owner has sued police, Abdullah um, Muflai, I believe. He has sued the Baton Rouge Police Department for illegally detaining him and going in and confiscating the, the surveillance video illegally without a warrant. But now we have an affidavit that is looking to get a search warrant for the video. The circumstances of the way the police uh, obtained this video seems very, very uh, shady to me. Yeah. Because if we if we believe what the store owner said, um, the police officers went onto his private pro- property, seized the video, as you mentioned, without a warrant, and now and arrested or at least detained him at the same yeah. time. And I don't know why you would need to detain a store owner that you have no reason to believe was involved. Involved in the commission of a crime, so you have that unusual aspect too. Um, so it makes me wonder what 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 are they doing, and why are they retroactively seeking a search warrant on yeah. a video that they've already seized? That, are, that suggests that they should have had a warrant in the first place yeah. before they seized it. And do we know? Are they maintaining that they don't have this video, and they're getting a search warrant to obtain the video? So it's unclear. I've read reports that the police department has it. I have I've read reports that the FBI has the video since they're also conducting a civil rights investigation. So it's unclear who's in possession of the video. To me, it just seemed unusual that they would seize it immediately and detain the, the store owner um, without first without first having a warrant. I think, um, we, you know, we all know in, in terms of the Fourth Amendment and um, the protection against illegal searches and seizures, you need a warrant before you can. In, um, search and seize property. Of course, there are certain limited circumstances in which you don't need a warrant. For example, if I give you my consent to search my my premises, or if which I'm, we know they didn't have, right? Right. So they didn't have consent from yeah. the store owner. Um, if you are, you know, checking the immediate surroundings after you've made an arrest, which yeah. this the store owner was not arrested; he was simply detained. Um, and also, in the interest of public safety, mm-hmm. um, you might conduct a search, but. Um, but it doesn't seem like any of those circumstances were present here. I've read that if if there's no 
privacy interest in the item that was seized, then maybe you don't need a warrant for that. Um, so there is a question of whether is there a privacy interest in this video. Um, I know you and I kind of see that differently. I, I was saying that, you know, in terms of having a videotape of an outdoor space looking onto the street, which is a public space, is there a privacy interest in that video? I think you took a, a different Well, yeah, I mean, I, I just feel as the owner and maybe the location of the tapes, uh, whether or not that might have been a violation of his privacy interest to um, come in and take those. But um, we'll see where that goes. It's curious. It's curious. I haven't heard of um, them confiscating something before and then having issuing a search warrant for it retroactively. Right. I think it's strange to issue this warrant retroactively. And I can understand seizing evidence where you're fearful that someone's going to destroy the evidence. Yeah. But there is no reason for that store owner to destroy the evidence in the first place. So to me, it's 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 strange. Um, but I am looking forward to seeing you know seeing that surveillance video, seeing the surveillance from yeah. the dash cam. Because I certainly think if we have that surveillance video, it may be a lot clearer as to what happened. Because we now we know that they're contending the body cams were out of place, and we really haven't heard anything about the dash cam video. Right, and I it, I think it's odd that it hasn't been released yet. I don't know what how much time it takes to do that. Or yeah. well, or, we know that typically these can be months or sometimes even over a year before they release this stuff. So, but I feel like the public kind of outcry is going to expedite things. I hope so. I hope so. Well, we'll have more updates on that coming soon. (laughs) Um, We have now another update with rapper Troy Ave. Um, He's finally released on $500,000 bail, but he's had a couple of conditions he's got to live up to. Right, so so his career is effectively on is effectively suspended right now yeah. uh, because one of the interesting um, provisions or terms of his bail is that he can't come near a stadium or an arena or a concert hall. Which to me made no sense. Uh, why do you think they included that provision? Well, the the shooting happened at Ti's concert at Irving Plaza, so maybe they fear that you know. Th- the circumstance could arise again where he runs into someone from a rival affiliation and he... I, I just very rarely have ever, not at all actually, ever heard that as a circumstance of, oh, because you were involved in shooting at a convenience store, you now must stay away from convenience stores uh, while out on bail. But I, I agree. I think it's unusual and it's, it's tough for him because he now has this $500,000 $500, bail that he's just needed to pay and in terms of even being able to make money to recoup some of that, he can't utilize his skills that yeah. is he can't perform yeah. he can't uh, perf- uh, schedule any new concerts he can't fulfill his contractual obligations that he might have had for con- uh, concerts already in existence yeah. so it puts him in a in a tough position it's a weird way to handcuff someone you know but and then he also has a couple other provisions well, right. right yeah so he has a curfew he has an 11 p.m. curfew um, and he also the, the lawyer stated that he's not allowed to visit his children as well yeah. in the meantime yeah and he's got to wear the ankle monitor well, you know, he's a, you know, the, it's a it's a big charge, attempted murder, and that's, they're saying they could be possibly bumped up to murder. So, but I, I think some of those uh, restrictions seem quite unusual. They are unusual, but um, to his benefit, he's um, still releasing music. We understand that he released a track from the prison. Yeah part of which some of the lyrics might have been used to kind of tell his side of the story. And he has now also released a, a mixtape 
that is available for down, for download. Well, so, yeah. so at least he, he's, he's still trying to find ways to make money uh, yeah. in the meantime while he waits to see what happens in this case. And, to, and his attorney has alleged that um, the shooting that we the shooting video we had seen earlier, um, we played it for for you guys on the show. He's saying that's only part of the story, and that he obviously didn't shoot himself or his friend. And they want Ronald McFadder, the bodyguard that died, to be remembered as a hero. So. Um, I guess more updates on that soon. Hopefully, it's going to be difficult to maybe not violate some of those. Um, you know, so hopefully he's able to you know stay clear and you know see what happens coming up. Yeah, I, it's in his best interest to do his best. Just stay home. Have people come visit you. So, well, uh, that's it for today. Uh, we certainly will have more updates for you guys next week. We have a lot of uh, a lot of interesting stories to update you guys on. We thank you for tuning in. You can catch me, Shaka Strong, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can catch me, Yemia by me, on Twitter and Instagram at ayemyems. Um, download us on uh, iTunes. Give us five stars. We would love to hear your comments and see your tweets. See you guys next week. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Christie, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at BlackHollywoodLive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram me at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood, Hollywood redefined. redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.